Welcome to Theology Breakfast. This morning I'm reading a sermon from Richard Sibbs. It's titled, The Saints' Comforts. It's an expositional sermon on Psalm 130. It begins in verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O God. This psalm is a pithy psalm, and therefore is called a psalm of degrees. Other reasons the Jews give of this title, but they agree not. Some will have it that these psalms were sung upon the fifteen stairs that went up to the temple. They call them thus, for that they say uh, they were sung with an extraordinary high voice. But in these difficulties, Melius est dubitari de occultis quam litarge. I'm saying this wrong, it's in Latin. De insertis. All historical truths are not necessarily are not necessary to be known, for Christ did many things that were not written. The author is not named, however, we may assure ourselves the Spirit of God indicted it, set it down. First, the state of the writer, verse one, secondly, his carriage in that estate, quote, he prayed, being in depths. Verse 2, thirdly, the ground of his prayer, which was God's mercy. Verse 3, his own faith, hope, and patience. His waiting is simply laid down, verse 5, and comparatively, verse 6, and fourthly, an application to the whole church, verse 7, from his own experience of God's mercy and sufficiency. Out of the first part, concerning the state of the writer of this psalm, let us observe these particulars following in their order, first, that the children of God do fall into depths, that is, into extremity of misery and affliction, which are called depths. Because as waters and depths, so these do swallow up and drown the soul, and because they do compass about the soul, burying it in great, terrible, continuing deep dangers. And these depths of a Christian are either outward or inward, the outward troubles and depths are those of the body. These God's children are afflicted with as Jonah was when he was in the bottom of the sea, Joseph in prison, and Paul in the dungeon. And these are like the man of God to the Shunammites in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18. They do but call our sins to rem remembrance. But the inward spiritual troubles are the great depths. That is, trouble of mind for sin that lies upon us, causing us to doubt all our estate, to feel God's wrath, to fear rejection, and excluding from God's presence. This is the soul of sorrow. Other outward sorrows uh, being but the carcass of sorrow. Quote, the spirit of a man will bear his infirmities, but a wounded spirit who can bear? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. In such an estate, in regard to the extremity of the burden of the sins of the whole world laid on him, was our head, Jesus Christ, making him sweat drops of blood. Quote, drops of blood in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And when he was on the cross, when he cried with strong cries and tears, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark chapter 15, verse 34. But why is this? 
that the prince of our salvation should be in such a depth of misery. Uh, and it says here that that was a misprint, that the point of our salvation should be in such a depth of misery. I answer, because it was requisite that salvation should be repaired by the contrary means that uh, to that whereby it was lost. It was lost by lifting up. Adam would be like a, a god, and Christ, he regained us by abasing himself. The Son of God must become man, and a man of sorrows. And as the head was, so the members have been and must be. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, quote, For we are predestined to be like the image of his Son, unquote. And so to pledge him in the same cup wherein he drank deep to us. In this plight we find David often, though a man after God's own heart, Psalm chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Psalm uh, 80, 88, verse 2, etc., Psalm chapter 40, verse 12, and Jonah, a prophet, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, etc., and Hezekiah, Isaiah chapter uh, 38, verse 13, and Job, especially Job chapter 6, verse 4. But why is this thus, seeing our head, Christ Jesus, hath suffered for us? I answer, we must suffer. Reason number one. First, that we may know what Christ suffered for us by our own experience, without which we should but lightly esteem our redemption, not knowing how to value Christ's sufferings sufficiently, which is a horrible sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Reason number two. Secondly, by our sufferings, we know what a bitter thing sin is. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19. As by the ill consequence thereof, for without the taste of God's wrath, we find nothing but sweetness and pleasure in sin. And therefore, we have so much sense of God's wrath as to humble us, but shows not the extremity of the depth of sin, lest we should sink down in despair. Reason number three. Thirdly, by our afflictions and deaths, we manifest God's power and glory the more in our deliverance. For the greater the trouble is, the greater is the deliverance. As the greater the cure is, the greater the credit the physician gets. Reason number four. Fourthly, many times by less evils, it is God's manner to cure greater. And thus he suffers us to feel wrath, to cure us of security which is as a grave to the soul, as also to cure spiritual pride that robs us of grace, dealing with us as he did with the Israelites. He would not cast out all the nations from before them, but left some that might be employed in hunting and destroying the wild beasts, which might else multiply against the children of Israel. And thus God dealt with Paul, gave him to be vexed by a, a base temptation, lest he should be lifted up with spiritual pride through the abundance of revelations. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Reason number five. <clears throat> Fifthly, these depths are left to us to make us more desirous of heaven. Else great men that are compassed about with earthly comforts, alas, with what zeal, 
could they pray, Thy kingdom come, etc. No, with Peter, they would rather say, Master, it is good for us to be here. Mark chapter 9, verse 5. And therefore, it is God's usual dealing with great men to suffer them to fall into spiritual desertions, to smoke them out of the world, whether they will or not. Reason number six. Sixthly, God works by these afflictions in us a more gentleness of spirit, making us meek and pitiful toward those that are in depths, which was one cause of Christ's afflictions. He suffered that he might be help, uh, that he might help uh, and comfort others. He suffered Peter to stumble, that when he was converted, he should strengthen his brethren. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Use number one. Hence, therefore, we learn not to pass a rash censure on ourselves or others that are in such depths as this holy man was. For the afflicted soul no sooner tastes of this bitter fruit, but presently breaks out into complaints. Never was any thus afflicted as I, thinking it unpossible that there should be greater crosses than it feels. When indeed the drought that Christ our head did drink to us was far beyond the apprehension of mortal man, and therefore much more beyond his power to undergo. Let us beware how we censure others that are afflicted, for God's ends are hid. It may be God sends afflictions to manifest some excellent graces which lie in him, unknown both to the world and himself. And so he set Job as a flag of defiance against the devil, bidding him do his worst. He should find him upright and a just man, and therefore we should rather take notice of affliction as a sign of some excellent grace with which God hath furnished such. For God will not call out any of, any of his to suffering, but he will get himself honor thereby. Use number two. In the second place, note this doctrine against the profane persons that tush at religion, and make a mock at the dejected condition of those that are good, because they seem despised, afflicted, and forsaken. They, alas, are ignorant of God's ways and works. It were much safer for them to consider their own ways, and to reason, if God deals thus with his dearest ones, with the green trees, what shall become of those that are his enemies, that are dry trees? If such troubles arise to the godly, even from God's love to them, what shall defend the wicked when the, when the vials of God's wrath shall be poured down upon them, and when they shall call to the rocks and mountains to hide, cover, and defend them? Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. If the righteous hardly be saved, where shall the godly appear? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18. And to conclude, know that the afflictions of the children of God are better than the pleasures of sin. Doctrine number two. In the second place, we observe, though Christians fall into depths, God upholds them, that they sink not down into them without recovery. Thus it was with our head. Though he 
on the sudden apprehended not the presence of God, so as he thought himself forsaken, yet he could even at the worst day, uh, at the worst say, my God. Thus also Jonah chapter 2 verse 4, I said I was cast out of thy sight, yet will I look towards thy holy temple. So Psalm 130, or rather Psalm 30, 31 uh, verse 22, and Psalm 118 verses 5 and 6. Reason number two, for the Spirit of God is in them, and where it is, it is stronger than hell, yea, though the grace be but as a grain of a mustard seed. Reason number two, again, as there are depths of misery in a Christian, so in God there are depths of love and of wisdom. Reason number three, thirdly, faith, where it is, unites the soul to Christ and to God through him, and draws down divine power to lay hold on the almighty power of God by true and fervent prayer, at whose rebuke the waters of affliction flee away. Psalm um, 77, verse 16. And so, the stronger the faith is, the stronger is the delivery, for it is of a mighty power enabling us to wrestle with God as Jacob did. Thus, when we lay hold on God and God on us, what can drown us? Reason number four. Fourthly, it is the nature of God's working to be by contraries in his works of creation, making all things of nothing. In his works of providence, he saves by little means from greatest dangers that he might bring us to heaven. He suffers us to go down even into hell to see our worst estate to humble us. And it may therefore be a cause why many mean why, why many men lie in long, long in afflictions, even because they come not low enough to see their sins and need of help. In glorifying our mortal bodies, he first brings them to the grave, that they may not rather that they may rot and corrupt, and so be refined and molded anew. Use number one. This should teach us a note of difference between those that are God's children and those that are not. <clears throat> those that are His, when they are in danger, go to Him. They have ever that hold by faith as to say, Yet God is good to Israel. Jeremiah 31 verse 1. Others seek to escape by desperate undoing of themselves, as Saul and Judas and Ahithophel. For all his strong natural parts, and indeed such are in most danger of such courses of all other, for God will tread on such for their pride. Contrarily, he mingles comforts in the worst estate that his children are in, with griefs, one to humble them, and the other to support them from despair, and so he sets them on a rock that is higher than they. Use number two. Secondly, it should teach us that in all extremities how to carry ourselves. We should take heed of the stream of grief, striving against it, as we desire, to, uh, as we desire a note of our good estate. Take heed how we think that God forsakes us. It is an imputation unbefitting him that never, forsake, that never forsakes his. 
Take heed of judging ourselves by sense. Is meat sour because one that is sick doth not relish it? No. The fault is in his indisposition. So in such desertions, we be sure thou retainest thy anchor of hope, though contrary to hope. And therefore, in the next place, use number three, we should answer God's dealing by our dealing. He works by contraries. We should judge by contraries. Therefore, if we be in misery, hope and wait for glory. In death, look for life. In sense of sin, assure thyself of pardon. For God's nature and promises are unchangeable. And when God will forgive, he lets us see our troubles. And therefore, with a resolute, uh, with resolute Job, um, yeah, together with resolute Job, say, Though he kills me, yet I will trust in him. Job chapter 13, verse 15. But to come particularly, I will set down cures of such depths as may arise from several causes, and these depths are either imaginary or real. Christians sometimes think themselves to be in depths when indeed they are not, but it is only imaginary, raised it may be from a melancholy distemperature of the spirits, which are also distempers, uh, which also distempers the reasonable working of the mind, raising as false and feigned conceits of their souls, as it doth in many of their bodies. And yet these conceits have real effects, as in Jacob, who sorrowed as truly for Joseph, as if he were dead indeed. Therefore, uh, for the avoiding hereof, be not alone. A friend in, and good company are made for such times. For the devil sets on men in such case most when they are alone, and, strong, and the strongest are then too weak for him. And believe not thine own fancy, but rather believe those that can discern better than we ourselves can. We know how men have been deceived thus, and therefore, when we are advised thus by friends and counseled, let us suspect that it is a motion of the devil or a fancy of thine own that thus troubles thee. There is another depth of, uh, that is imaginary, arising from mistaking of rules concluding because they have not so much grace as others, have not so much subduing and prevailing power over sin, therefore they have no grace at all. They are damned hypocrites and the like. Little do they think that perfection is not attainable here, but is reserved for the blessedness of that other life hereafter. Little do they look to the imperfections of the best saints of God and the great depths that they have been in. And indeed, they know not what the covenant of grace requires, nor perfect fulfilling of the law by our own persons, for that was the end of the law. But the covenant of grace requires sincerity with growth, and this is the only perfection which we can look for here. Another depth also there is, which arises from the taking of the motions of the devil for those of his own corrupt nature. 
the baseness and unreasonableness of them that make uh, them makes them think they cannot be God's children and have such detestable motions within them. Let such know that such shall be cast upon Satan's score. And it is a sign rather that such are none of the children of the devil, who, if they were, would suffer them to rest in, in quiet with vexing them. Again, some men fall into another depth, which ariseth from an apprehension of God's forsaking them. To such I give this advice, that they judge not of themselves by their distemper, for a sinful conscience puts a veil sometimes between God and us, hiding his favor, which nevertheless may be uh, as great to us then as at any other time, and it may be intended by God to drive us to him by scourging us from our wicked ways and sins, which formerly we lived in. By, by faith, therefore, pull off the, the visor from the face of God. Judge not according to present appearance, but by God's nature and his promises, who hath said he will be with us forever, that no temptation shall be above measure. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Judge by his nature who is unchangeable. And thus did the Canaanitish woman see Christ's loving nature under his frowning look, who doth, as Joseph, hide, hide his love in person from his brethren out of an increasement of love, not out of any ill intent. Again, in such a case, let us be sure we trust others that are our friends rather than ourselves. I mean in time of temptation, whenas others can better discern of our health by our spiritual pulses than we ourselves, who then are blinded. And in such cases, there is the trial of faith and love. There is another sort of depths, and these are before conversion. And thus was Paul troubled, quote, Lord, what shall I do? And thus was Manasseh, let us consider the commandment to humble them and cast themselves on Christ and his promises, considering the end of Christ's coming was to save and seek such as are lost. Use number four. And if anyone shall find himself already escaped from uh, escaped such depths as are formerly mentioned, let him take comfort to himself as being thereby evidently proved to be the child of God. For that is utterly impossible that nature should overcome such, a, such difficulties, and to that end let him reason after this sort. God's children go to him in depths. I go only to him in depths, therefore I am God's child. For to have the spirit of prayer to go to God in time of trouble is a work of the spirit. A natural man hath, hath it not. Job chapter 17 verses 9 through 10. Use number five. Hence, therefore, in the next place, note a sure sign of the true religion, namely, to be able to support men in danger and in spiritual troubles. This is verified in ours, uh, as the subtle Jesuit will acknowledge, while they hold that reposing ourselves merely on mercy and favor in Christ and not on man's good works is the safest way. Why, therefore, they live by their uncomfortable rules, and when they die fly for succor to these, which in their lifetime they despise. Use number six. 
Moreover, let this be a ground to encourage us never to give over God's cause. He hath said he will not leave us, though we be in depth of our sins, if we belong to him. And therefore, much less will he leave us in that work which he himself sets us about. He was with Daniel among the lions, with Moses in the bulrushes, and the three children in the fire, with his church through fire and water. Use number seven. Lastly, let us therefore be sure to keep God our friend, that he may own us. Else when we cry, he will not hear us. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 28. Acquaint we ourselves with him, as it is in Job chapter 22, verse 21, in prosperity, and he will be our refuge, etc. Doctrine number three. In the third place, observe we that afflictions stir up devotions, for prayers in time of afflictions are cries. And then there's another line here in Latin. Oratio, oratio, uh, sign malice es abis sign alis. For what allays worldly joy and embitters it but affliction. That's the translation. And by the way, this is Psalm 130. And the passage, uh, verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I have cried unto thee. So this is all just a, med a meditation upon that. Out of the depths I have cried unto thee. What? Oh, it is? I didn't know that. All right. Now we know that it is the worldly afflictions, or that's a misprint, affections. Worldly affections that quenches our zeal and makes us cold. Affliction is a purgation, opening the soul, so purging, opening the soul, causing it to relish and to effect, uh, that is, choose, spiritually, and see the wants and necessity of supply, and so procures longing and earnest hungering. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, quote, In their affliction they will seek me early. And therefore, Psalm 107, verse 6, it is said that they cry to the Lord in their trouble. Now crying supposes want and sense of misery and ardency, Thus were Christ's cries called, quote, strong cries, and indeed weak afflictions many times make men rather pettish and froward as Jonah uh, than ardent in feeling relief. And therefore, use number one, let us interpret God's dealings with a sanctified judgment. He is a wise physician and knows when strong or gentle physic is most requisite. Sometimes God by great afflictions doth manifest great graces. But so as notwithstanding, they may be mingled with a deal of corruption, and it is God's use that hereby his graces may be increased, and the corruption allayed, to bring down the greatest cedars and to eclipse the greatest lights. Use number two. Secondly, let us oppose desperations by all means, by prayer, by crying. And if we cannot speak by sighing, if not so, yet by gesture, especially at the time of death, for God knows the heart. For when it stands upon eternal comfort, and therefore let us do anything to show our faith fails not, we must know that every one shall meet with these enemies that would cause us to despair if they could. For this life is a, a, 
a warring and striving life. We shall have enemies without and within and within us that will fight against us. Doctrine number four. In the next place, observe by the example of this holy man that prayers are to be made only to God, who knows our wants, supports us, and binds us up. And it is only Christ that doth this. None can love us more than he that gave himself for us. He is our eye whereby we see, our mouth whereby we speak, our arms whereby we lay hold on God. And therefore, it is an intolerable unthankfulness to leave this, quote, fountain open for sin and for uncleanness and to dig ourselves cisterns that will hold no water. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. To leave Christ and run to saints and angels and the like, etc. All that on verse number one. So verse number two of Psalm 130. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Mark here his constancy and instancy in prayer by ingemination. Ingemination. Yep. And this he doth not to work upon God, as if he were hard to be entreated to mercy, but to waken up his own heart and to entreat of God a more inward and clear communion, communicating increase of grace, so as God's children are not satisfied with small portions of grace. And this did uh, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 18 through 19. O Lord, hear, forgive, hearken, do, defer not. His ardency shows into what an exigent he was brought. And indeed, the Lord regards lukewarm prayers no more than lukewarm persons, so as he will spew them out. Prayers must be like incense. It must be fired with zeal. Question. But some will ask, how can we come to make our prayers fervent? Answer. I answer, consider our wants and our necessity of supply, of our misery in our wants, of our hope to prevail by prayer, and these will edge our affections in prayer. Consider also how these times and the estate of the church do sympathy with particular depths. The church abroad is in great depths, and if we will have proof that we are fellow members, that we are children of that mother, let us labor for our fellow feeling of their miseries and make them our own. And to that end, in our prayers, allege the depths and pray, Help thou, Lord, for vain is man's help. Psalm uh, 60, verse 11. For extremity itself is a good argument to, uh, to a father to help his children. Allege also the insolency of the enemies. Quote, Why should the heathen say, Where is our God? Psalm 70, 79, verse 10. There is no church but useth more helps of humiliation than we do, which foretells a great judgment. For God cannot endure this lukewarmness. Therefore call upon God with fervency, else will he cast us into such extremities as shall force fire into us. He that is poor doth naturally speak supplications. Direction number two. Secondly, look we always, uh, yeah, look that we always be in such an estate as God may hear us. If we be not within the covenant of God, uh, with God, our prayers shall turn to sin. Direction number three. 
Thirdly, take heed of willful neglect of God's word. He that turneth his ears from hearing the law, his prayer shall be abominable. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. Some cry down preaching and cry up prayer, making opposition between duties where none is. Dost thou think God will hear thee, and thou wilt not hear him? Direction number four. Fourthly, take heed of double dealing with God. This is hateful to God, and therefore David, till he dealt plainly with himself by condemning himself, his prayers were but roaring as a beast taken in a snare, and that and that cannot get out, roars for pain and despite or a despot or despite. Uh, Psalm chapter thirty one verse three. Direction number five take heed that in the next place of allowance of any sin, though never so little, and though it be only entertained in heart, the Lord will not hear our prayers. Psalm um, 66 verse 18 for shall we think that god cares for our prayers when we make covenant with his enemies direction number six take heed also of unmercifulness and cruelty god would not hear the israelites their hands were full of blood isaiah chapter 1 verse 15 god will rather have no sacrifice than no charity let us take heed of these things and let us come boldly to the throne of grace while he holds out his scepter to us. But against this, a man may object and say that he is a wicked wretch, and his prayers shall but increase sin. To such I answer, let them offer their prayers in obedience to God's commandments, who commends them to pray, and he will respect the very groans of his spirit within. Elias was a man subject to the like infirmities, yet God heard his prayer. James chapter 5, verse 17. Where God's spirit stirreth up, man's spirit is stirred up. And where Christ joins to offer the prayers to his Father as in his own name, why should we vilify that which God highly esteemeth? Let God have his sacrifice. He knows how to accept of that which is good and to pardon that which is amiss. He will second his beginnings and will enlarge the heart more and more. Though in the beginning prayer may be dull and untoward, it shall end in fullness, and therefore let these spiritual depths be so far off from hindering us from prayer, that rather it should encourage us to pray. For it may be one end why the Lord suffers to fall into depths, to the end that we may be stirred up to come to him, that thus we may glorify him, and he glory, glorify his mercy, in hearing our prayers and granting our requests. For sure it is, he hath not a heart to pray when he is in depths, shall never come out of them. And let such as do come to him know that however God is not present to sense, but rather seemeth to hide himself, yet he is most near to such as with Mary cannot see him for their tears and griefs. If with her in humility when they seek after him. Verse number three. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? These words are a removal of hindrance of prayer, following God with an humble confession of which is evil, which is ever better than a proud boasting of that which is good, and thus preventing a secret objection which God 
and a guilty conscience may make, that he was a guilty wretch, to which he answers by way of confession, quote, Truth, Lord, yet if I, if thou shouldst mark iniquities, none could abide it. Whence in general we may observe doctrine number one, that sin hinders and discourages the soul from prayer. For the conscience will object, and the soul will upbraid us, telling us we are sinners. God, he is holy, and how can we think that he will hear us where there is no faith? The soul must needs sink. This estate was David's in Psalm 51, verses 14 through 15. Sin and guilty at a guilty conscience had almost sealed up his lips, and thus was the publican, who durst not lift up his eyes to heaven, and thus will be our, will our estate be, especially if we yield to sins against conscience. Like Adam, we will run from the presence of God to hide ourselves, though our former estate and conversation with God were never so inward and familiar. Therefore, let us look to our souls as we, as we desire to appear with comfort before the throne of grace. For our consciousness of the remainder of sin hinders boldness in prayer in the best. Doctrine number two. In the second place, the way to get out of misery is first to get discharged from sin. For sin is the beginning and cause of all misery. Therefore, the sons of Jacob... Uh, when they were handled roughly by Joseph, presently the thought of selling Joseph into Egypt came into their minds as the cause of all their trouble, though the fact was many years before, and the widow, uh, when her son died, presently called uh, to mind her sin. O thou, uh, o thou man of God, why comest thou to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? First Kings chapter 17, verse 18. If, therefore, we will remove the misery, let us remove sin first. Thus David began with desiring pardon. Psalm uh, 143, verse 2. Then prayer for deliverance, for misery follows sin, even as the shadow doth follow the body. Doctrine number three. Thirdly, we may observe from the general that the way to purge and to take away sin is by confession, thereby clearing God and laying load on ourselves. The way to cover our sin is to uncover it by confession. The way for God to spare us is not to spare ourselves. And this God requires, not for himself, as if he were not able to be merciful, but by this means, um, but to the end, um, yeah, not, not able to be merciful, but by this means, but to the end that we may glorify him, as Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, Joshua chapter 7, verse 19. Secondly, God will have it a way to mercy, because he hath so decreed it. And in the third place, that thereby there may be wrought in our souls a greater shame for sin. And this confession must be serious, thorough, humble, with grief, shame, and hatred. Every Lord have mercy is not enough. For many deceive themselves this way, misapplying the promises that Christ will not, quote, break the bruised reed, that he looks at the desire. Alas, these belong to such as are not lazy and are plain dealers with themselves that will not spare themselves, that by reading, hearing, meditation, conference, and all other duties will not give over till they have found out the bottom of their iniquity hidden in their heart. And let 
Only such apply them, and not those to whom they do not belong. Thus much in general. Now, to come to some particulars. The first, and first, let us observe out of this interrogation having the force of a strong affirmation. Doctrine number four. That the best men in the estate of grace are sinners. Some may be sine crimine, but not sine peccato. Uh, something crime and second sin. I don't, I don't know Latin. For in every man there are two principles, one of good, another of evil, the old man, and the new. In all there is a combat between flesh and spirit. Christ is not a mediator for such as are already perfect, but mediation needs not be where all is friendly. And therefore, there must be some enmity that must make God's children stand in need of the perpetual intercession of Christ, who is a high priest forever. And the servants of God have acknowledged thus much. Psalm 143, verse 1, quote, Answer me in thy righteousness, not mine. I will not have a quarrel with thee. Thou art righteous, I am sinful. I may be just in mine own eyes, but in thy sight no man can be, called, can be justified, or shall be justified. We acknowledge thus much in our daily prayers, while we still pray, forgive us our trespasses. Though we profit every day, never so much, yet like leaking ships, we gather that which will drown our souls at length if we repent not. For as it is, Isaiah chapter uh, 60, 64, verse 4, quote, Our best performances are as filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, quote, I am a man of polluted lips. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, While I confess my own sins. The papists themselves imply so much, for else why teach they the doctrine of doubting? If we be perfect, it is a sin to doubt of salvation, for thereby we deny God to be just. If they be perfect, what need they force the doctrine of penance or of going to saints to, uh, to be their mediator? And when they are upon the rack of conscience, the best of them will renounce them their dreams of perfection. For this observation, therefore, we learn that no man can perfectly fulfill the law, and secondly, that there can be no justification by works, only that that must make us uh, just, only that that must make us just must be perfect. Our best works, our best works are imperfect. Doctrine number five. In the next place, we may observe that community of offenders is no ground of lessening or diminishing of sin. A formal Christian, it is his trick to wrap himself up in general confessions. We are sinners, and if God should deal with us as we deserve, we were damned. But come to reckon with him for his particular sins, then he is all in a chafe. He cannot be a saint and the like speeches tending to the defense of his course. The psalmist is not of this nature. He argues otherwise. Neither Adam nor Abraham could stand. How much less shall I, poor worm? David, he aggravates his sin while he tells us that he was conceived and born in sin. 
But men nowadays, contrarily, quote, you must bear with me. It is my natural disposition. I, I cannot do otherwise, unquote. Yet do I do not deny, but to the dejected sinner, this may be used as a comfort. For while they see the mass of corruption within them, they presently conceive, uh, they presently conceive worse of their estate and condition, as if none were so ill, or as it, uh, or in as ill, a, a, a case as they. Such should be stayed by considering it is the general estate of all men. Only the difference is some come, some see their sins more than others do. And thus Solomon useth it in Second Chronicles chapter six verse thirty six. If any man sinneth against thee, as there is no man that sinneth not, and God Himself useth it as an argument to move him to mercy. Quote, the imaginations of man's heart are evil continually. Therefore, my spirit shall not always strive with flesh. Genesis chapter six verse three. Doctrine number five. In the next place, we may observe that community of offenders is no ground of lessening or diminishing of sin. A formal Christian, it is his trick to wrap himself in general confessions. Oh, I already read this. Doctrine number six. In the next place, observe that God opens the heart and eyes of his children to see and feel what sin is and keeps their eyes open, and their conscience is continually tender. The wicked are blind in most heinous crimes of all. David, he complains of this, that his sin was ever before him. Psalm 51, verse 3. And God threatens this in Psalm chapter 1, verse... Uh, that can't be right. Oh, that's an L. Psalm 50, verse 21. Quote, I will set them before thee, and the reasons hereof are... Reason number one... Reason number one. First, to make our judgments conformable to his in hatred of sin. For we being his children, it is fit we should be of his image and like to him. Reason number two. Secondly, to make us apprehend mercy the more dearly and thereby glorify him in it the more. Reason number three. Thirdly, because he would have us beg of him to cover our sins from his eyes that it may be covered from our eyes, for the best cannot shake off the sense of sin, be it ever so bur burdensome. Uh, but God keeps it in our minds to humble us the more thoroughly. Reason number four, God, uh, again, God's children have a new life which is sensible of the least thing that is contrary to itself. And those that are in most perfect life are most perfect in the sense of sin, though never so small, though but motions. Where the sun shines most clear, then motes are most easily seen. And therefore, the best Christians do complain most of corruptions, for they see more than others do. Hence, therefore, we may know our estate, whether we are stillborn or have life. If we have life, we have light and can see and discern between good and evil. Some are stillborn, yet think they live. Thus are many, thinking themselves unblameable in conversation, yet in heart full of pride, and like the Pharisees, count well of themselves. Nothing knowing 
that uh, nothing knowing what God or what, what belongs to the Christian warfare. Others are more bold, and their very lives bewray them uh, that they, they think not of sin, but are bold in their courses, proud in speech and carriage, contemptuous of others uh, and the means of salvation, contented with a little, and think anything, anything enough. But the worst of all are those that think indeed of sin, but it is to defend it and maintain it by translation, uh, that is transference, and recrimination. They will be sure to repay double to those that tell them of their courses in friendly manner. <laughs> Question. But how shall we come to a sensible to be sensible of sin direction number one first let us have the picture of the law in our hearts seeing all ill and degrees thereof also learn us to desire to avoid sin or learn as to desire to avoid sin so to endeavor to flee all occasions thereof though never so small and to take up all occasions of doing good and doing good spiritually from judgment, affection, faith. And consider the extent of the law, reaching to the least thought. Direction number two. Secondly, bring ourselves continually into the presence of God. Human frailty appears in nothing more than when it is brought to the light. Opposites being compared illustrate one another. Consider therefore in whose presence we are, what we are, what God is, what we have done, what he commandeth, and then with Job we shall abhor ourselves in dust and ashes, though formerly we defended ourselves. Job chapter 42, verse 6. Direction number 3. And because God is invisible, bring ourselves to that which is divine. Hear we the word often unfolded, and we shall with the unbeliever. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, quote, be convinced, and falling down shall confess God's power with it. Um, I wonder if that's the passage where the unbelievers in church is convicted by the, the clear um, speaking of the word from the congregation. Direction number four. Furthermore, let us converse with those that are better than ourselves. For the image and likeness of God is seen in his children. It is the custom of many men to converse with the worst company, and they may appear to be the best, that they may appear to be the best, and thus do they increase an overweening self-conceit in themselves. Direction number five, let us also use to go to places visited with God's corrections. Foreseeing misery, the conscience retires to itself, considering of the ways of sin, and how the devil pays those that serve him. In this use we ought to make of objects of mercy, to see God's correcting hand. Else do we provoke God, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, who curseth much, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 3, and branding them with a brand of King Ahaz. This is Ahaz. And while we delight ourselves with pleasing worldly objects, our eyes shut against sin. But corrections and punishments makes them see and discern. All Christ's admonitions could not make Judas see his sin of covetousness, which the weight of a, burden, a burdened conscience afterwards so wrought 
as could not be pacified. Let us look, therefore, on the afflictions of other men, uh, of our own persons and estates, and know the least crosses comes not without a just cause. Direction number six. Lastly, let us pray to God to give us tender hearts, not to deliver us up to a hard, impenetrable heart, and to spiritual judgments, but to keep us continually sensible of our sins and least infirmities. Doctrine number seven. In the next place, out of the manner of delivery of this speech, we may gather thus much, that sin, once truly felt, is ever unsupportable. None can stand under it. There are three impotencies in sinners. First, they cannot see sin. Psalm chapter 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Secondly, when the Lord causes them to see their sins, they cannot justify themselves. And then, in the third place, they cannot bear the burden of them. For death, the wages thereof, none can bear or endure. Nay, God himself cannot endure sin. Amos chapter 2, verse 13. Nay, the wounded conscience, which is but a part of the wages thereof in his life, none can endure, but is, quote, pressed under them as a cart loaden with sheaves, unquote. Christ, he could not endure them, but had such sense of them as if he had been quite forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And angels could not bear the burden, but were thrown down to hell thereby. And so angels of light became angels of infernal darkness. Adam could not endure it till Christ raised him up by the promise of the blessed seed. And therefore, much less can we since the fall, as it appears in Cain, Saul, Ahithophel, Judas. The earth could not bear Korah and his company, and neither would it bear us if we had our due. Sin is a debt we cannot answer. Job chapter 9, verse 3. We cannot answer one of a thousand. Unquote. Use number one. Therefore confutes, therefore, confutes the papists who say that Christ hath endured the great punishments, but there are other lighter punishments which we also must undergo, as purgatory and the like, to whom we say the wages of the least sin is death, that which the angels could not satisfy for, how can we weak creatures? Use number two. Secondly, this may be put a just defense into the mouths of careful Christians. Let others term, uh, term them what, uh, by what names of scorn they list. Such have good ground for what they do. They know what sin is and have felt the sting thereof. And what they do, they do it in love to their souls. As for them, what scorn, that scorn, they know there is more cause to pity them than envy their estate. Though they can outswagger and outface sin now, which none could undergo heretofore, and though they can with a grace and authority, as they think, censure those that are careful and themselves swear and profane the holy name of God, showing therefore a heart full of unbelief and of unreverence, which is more odious than the sin of swearing. Yet there is a time coming when God will set their sins in order before them, in such manner that they shall melt away in the sense of the multitude and greatness of them, 
without hope of relief, when they shall see nothing but vengeance and death before their eyes, and without all manner of hope they shall die. Question. But how comes it to pass, will some say, that many nevertheless seem to bear their sins well enough and live and die without tears? Answer. I answer, the estate of such may be dangerous, for Christ is not sweet till sin be bitter. God is infinite in wisdom, not presently burdening every sinner, nor comforting those that shall desire it. For then who would not be good and who would be ill? And if ever more comforts were present, what need were there of faith? And therefore this is most especially true at the day of judgment when the wicked shall be blown away as chaff. Psalm chapter 1 verses 4 through 6. When there will be a guilty conscience, watching devils, and an angry God. Where shall the wicked then appear? And there must be a hell after hereafter, that men may then feel what now they will not believe. Use of direction. Wherefore, let us learn to submit ourselves to the correcting hand of God, saying, It is thy mercy we are not consumed. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Considering that this light affliction is nothing to that we deserve, or that Christ suffered for us, or that the damned suffer in hell, or that, uh, or, or that joy we have laid up for us in heaven. And therefore, as it is in Micah chapter 7, verse 9, quote, Let us bear the indignation of the Lord, because we have sinned against him. Unquote. Secondly, let us justify God. We have deserved affliction. He hath dealt justly with us. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31. Righteousness belongeth to him, but to us shame and confusion of face. Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. Thirdly, let us moderate our censure of those that are dejected and out of heart through sense of sin. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, quote, A wounded spirit who can bear. Impute it not, therefore, to melancholy or despair and madness, or as Eli unadvisedly did, to drunkenness when he re reprehended Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14. For can we think it strange when God sees sin in his children that he causes them to see it, and that when they see it, they should show it in their outward gestures? No, it is no light burden that a man may run away with. Verse number four. But there is forgiveness with thee. This verse contains a blessed appeal. God hath a court of justice and a tribunal of mercy. If God should examine in justice what we have done, we could not stand. Quote, but there is mercy of forgiveness with the Lord. Therefore, it is an appeal from the throne of justice to the mercy seat. And yet this is not so properly an appeal, but it admits of limitations. For first, appeals are used in aid of those that are innocent. Now we, are, now we by nature are all unclean. Again, appeals are grounded for the most part upon discovery of insufficiency or of violent indirect courses in the managing of the cause. This can no ways be attributed to God, who is not rigorous nor 
uh, who is not rigorous nor insufficient or swayed by indirect means, for he accepts the person of none. Again, an appeal is from an inferior court to a higher, but here it is not so, for we appeal from God to God, from God armed with justice, examining by law, to God, a father armed with love, looking upon us uh, in the comfortable promises of the gospel. From Sinai to Sion, from Moses to Christ, and in this appeal, as in others, the former sentence of the law, whereby we are cursed, is utterly disannulled, so as no condemnation is to those that are in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But this belongs to such, as it is in other appeals, who must see themselves condemned before they can have the benefit of this appeal. There is no flying to mercy unless we find ourselves in need. But to come to, to some observations, in the first place, we may see by this example that the soul of a Christian apprehends God according to its estate, to comfort itself, and therefore beholds him as a forgiving God. And therefore the children of God, when they are at the lowest, they recover themselves with something they find in God's nature and promise and to that end have a spirit of faith to trust and rely upon God, and those that have it not sink lower and lower. Doctrine number one. Here we may observe that the Christian soul, once stung with sin, flies to the free mercy of God for ease. Let a sinner be in Haman's estate. Tell him of all pleasures, whatever they be, he cares not. Nothing but pardon delights his soul. David, a king, a prophet, a man after God's own heart, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, beloved of his people, wonderfully graced, yet being troubled with his sin, could not stand. He respects not his outward privileges, prerogatives, majesty, and the like. No, he is the blessed man to whom God imputes no sin, Psalm chapter 32, verse 1. And this is the reason why so much is attributed to the blood of Christ everywhere, in the scripture because the soul once pricked finds no ease no cure but in it principally yet not excluding the other merits and obedience of Christ and David when he would raise up his soul to praise God describes him to be a God quote forgiving sin and healing infirmities Psalm um, 103 verse 3 and therefore we should, when our consciences are burdened, go as Joab did and catch hold of the horns of the altar to the mercy of God. There live and there die. And though the, the conflict be never so great, we shall at length find that as Jacob, we shall be children of Israel and such as shall prevail with God and that, our, uh, and that for our depth of misery, he hath a depth also of mercy. And this mercy will appear either in preserving us from sin before we have fallen into it, or rescuing us from it once we have fallen into it. Question. But how comes it, may some say, that God forgives? Doth he, uh, doth he it without satisfactions? Answer number one. No. Question. How then is it done, seeing he hath decreed that without blood shall no shall be no remission? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Answer, I answer, this is done in Christ. 
question. But why is he not mentioned here, nor in the Old Testament neither? Answer, I answer, he was laid down to us in the Old Testament in types and promises. For what other was the Paschal Lamb but the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world by sprinkling our hearts with his blood? He was the priest uh, before he could open an entrance into the Holy of Holies for us, must first shed blood and offer sacrifice. What signified the ark with the law covered within it, the mercy seat upon it, and over them two cherubims covering over another? But Christ, our ark, covering the curses of the law, in whom is the ground of all mercy, which things the angels desire to pry into, First Peter chapter 1, verse 12, as into the pattern of God's deep wisdom. And when as any prayed in the temple, they looked towards the mercy seat. What meaneth it? After uh, what meaneth it other than that, whenever we do pray to God, we should behold Christ, through whom God appears to be merciful and gracious. What signified the temple, towards which they looked and prayed? Second Chronicles chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Daniel chapter six, verse ten. But that we in our prayers should evermore have reverence to our temple, Christ Jesus. And being thus assured, we may safely pass the flaming fire of God's justice. If there were any other to be trusted besides Christ, there would be no peace of conscience. The sinner would argue, I am a creature, my sin is infinite. No creature can satisfy, they are not infinite. Angels cannot stand. It must be an infinite majesty that must satisfy, and it must be with blood. Now Christ, by his blood, hath attained eternal redemption for us, and therefore none but Christ, none but Christ. He is God-man, making God and man at one. It is by his nature, and it is his office. So as God is just as well as merciful, for as it is, Romans chapter 3, 24th and 25th verses, God the Father hath proposed or set forth Christ in types and figures to be a propitiation, alluding to the mercy seat, to declare his righteousness and justice, that he may be just in punishing sin that is in Christ, and a justifier of the one that believes in Jesus in Christ Jesus, because he accepted of Christ's satisfaction, so as his mercy devised a remedy to satisfy his justice, thus much in general, now to come, to particulars. First, take it exclusively, and we may observe. Doctrine number one, that only God can release a guilty conscience. Only he can speak peace to a soul in distress. Ministers indeed have keys to open and shut heaven, but they use them only ministerially as they find persons disposed, but Christ independently. Now then, when as man assumes this prerogative to himself, as the popes were wont to do, giving indulgences, it is no other than to set them in the place of God. Quote, I, even I, forgive sin, unquote, saith God, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. None can quiet the conscience but one that is above the conscience, which is God, who is only, that is alone, the party offended. Though there be also an offense against men, this ought to comfort us, 
that we have to do with a forgiving God. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31. There is none like him to whom it is natural to remit and forgive sin. It is his name, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, quote, forgiving iniquities, transgressions, and sins, all manner of sins, sins against knowledge and against conscience. With him is plentiful forgiveness. Doctrine number two. Secondly, observe that God is... Uh, that as God only forgives sins, so He ever forgives sins. It is always His nature. As the fire always burns, as He is Jehovah, He is merciful. John chapter 1, verse 29. Christ, He is, quote, the Lamb of God that doth take away the sins of the world. It is a perpetual act, as we say, the sun doth shine and the spring doth run. He is, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, that fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. Mercy is his nature, and forgiveness is an effect of his mercy. Objection. Therefore, it is no satisfying objection that the distressed soul will be ready to make, that God was merciful to David and Peter, but how can he be uh, to me, miserable sinner. For God, as he forgave Peter, Paul, David, so he forgives now. He is a fountain of mercy, never drawn, drawn dry. He is unchangeable, and therefore we are not consumed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The consideration of this should be as a perpetual picture of our in our hearts. Doctrine number three. Thirdly, Hence we may gather that God's mercy is free and from himself. Though in us is sin and iniquity, yet in thee is mercy. And therefore God saith, I do not this for your sakes, but for mine own sake. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 22. Yet must not this be understood so as if it were freely and only from God the Father, excluding Christ. But therefore it is in... Uh, that we shall stand in need of no satisfactory merits of our own. Away, therefore, with popish doctrines of satisfactions by our own works. The holy man saith not, With thee is justice to take away works as satisfaction from, for my sin. No, though this holy man were a gracious man, yet mercy is all his plea. And if the question be how the sinner stands free from punishment and entitled to all good, it is from forgiveness, which is from God's mercy, grounded on Christ's satisfaction. All is laid up uh, upon him. Isaiah chapter uh, 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sorrows. He was made sin for us that knew no sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The nature of man will hardly stoop to this divine truth, but the Spirit teacheth us to rely on the free forgiveness of God in Christ. And therefore Christ and his apostles bid such, quote, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We may think this an easy lesson, but hereafter when God shall open our sins and lay them upon our consciences, they will then tell us fearful things. There is no hope. Thou must be damned. Against such times lay up grounds of comfort, and let this text be a haven to resort to. It is true, quote, If thou markest what is done amiss, who can stand? 
but there is mercy with these. Uh, there is mercy, mercy with thee that thou be feared. Doctrine number four. Fourthly, we may from hence observe that the best Christian and most gracious man alive needs forgiveness of his sins. For where the conscience is enlightened, it will discover what corruption it finds, and so the necessity of being delivered. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, quote, If any man sin, we have an advocate, unquote. That is, such as I am, have need of an advocate, and one reason may be because, indeed, such see in their sins much more ingratitude than others. For they sin against the knowledge of God's love to their souls in forgiving former sins, and then fall into sin again, it is as broken bones, Psalm 51, verse 8. And the apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, speaking to the believing Corinthians, quote, I beseech you, be reconciled to God, unquote. For Christ was made sin for us, for you and for me. Even we sin daily and stand in need of reconciliation. We must daily pray, forgive us our sins. Yea, the best of the disciples must do it. If we come not with this petition, our sins are written with a pen of iron and with the claw of an adamant. Job chapter 19, verse 24. Doctrine number five. Fifthly, you know, and I think that where he says that, write this on a stone in Job chapter 19, he's talking about my Redeemer lives, and he would see him after death with his own eyes. He's speaking of the resurrection. Doctrine number five. Fifthly, this mercy and forgiveness is general to all that cast themselves on his free mercy. It is Satan's subtlety to persuade us at the first that sin is nothing. But when it is committed and cannot be recalled, then he tells us it is greater than can be pardoned. No. <laughs> like that's one sentence, period. No. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who that do believe. Let none despair. It is a greater sin than the former. Deus non est desperantium pater, said Judex. God's pardon is general to all persons that repent of all sin, whereby he frees them from all evil. He pardons all persons. Manassas, the sorcerer, Cornelius, Zacchaeus, persecuting Paul. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost groat, the prodigal son testifies it. God offers it freely. Quote, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 13. He complains when it is neglected. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together? Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. He threatens because he will not hear, because men will not hear, and he pardons all sins. There is no disease above the skill of this physician. He healeth all thy sins and all thy infirmities. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3. Yea, if it were possible that the sinner against the Holy Ghost could repent, there were hope in Israel concerning this. He hath pardoned for sin long lived in. At what time soever a sinner repenteth, he will blot out his wickedness. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 
verse 9. What though they be never so enormous, God's thoughts are not as ours. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. Conscience may be overcharged with sin. We may play the harlot with many lovers. Yet return to me, saith the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. He that bids Peter forgive 77 times shall not uh, he have plenteous redemption. Shall not he have plenteous redemption? What proportion is there between the sin of a creature and the mercy of an infinite majesty? He frees from all ill, from all punishment. His forgiveness is perfect. Though we be as red as crimson with sin, he will make us white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He removes our sins from his presence, quote, as far as east is from the west. Psalm 103 verse 12. Question. But some will say, why corrects he then his children? Answer, I answer not from revenging justice, for he is our father. And what he does, it comes from love, and is mingled with love and moderated with love to our strength, and are turned by love to our good. When he follows us with prosperity, he is our alluring father. And when he corrects us, he is correcting, not punishing. Father, he is a correcting, not punishing father. Hebrews chapter 12, from 3rd to 12th verses. Yet, let not this be sinisterly, sinisterly taken. It is spoken openly to the humble heart that is broken with sin, which is the sixth general observation. There must be first sight of sin, then sense of misery, then confession of sin, and begging pardon or else none is granted. For God bestows pardon so as may be most for his glory and our comfort. What glory can he reap by pardoning those that will sin, quote, because grace may abound, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and so will turn the grace of God into wantonness, Jude 4. And what comfort can we have of the pardon of our sins till we see our sins and feel what it is to want pardon. Sight of sin and mercy are inseparable. Sometimes the sense of pardon is delayed to make us hunger after it. Sometimes it follows suddenly after sight of sin, as it did to Matthew and Zacchaeus, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. But one must go before the other. First must the wind of the sight of God's anger come breaking and rending the rocky hard hearts that are within us. Then comes the soft, still voice speaking peace to the humble soul. The reasons may be, first, to set an edge on our prayers for forgiveness, else who would care for it? Secondly, to make us highly to esteem forgiveness of sin. The promises are sweet to the dejected soul, as a pardon is to the condemned person. Thirdly, that God might have the more glory and thanks. When we find bitterness of sin, as it is in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, to be sweetened by God's mercy, then, quote, My soul, praise thou the Lord, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. He forgives all my sin and heals all my infirmities. Psalm 103, verses 1, 2, and 3. And lastly, because our sins unrepented keep good from us and us from the fountains of all good, 
and must be removed before there could be any way for mercy. This therefore justifies those ministers that in these days of the gospel do enforce the law, and people must not be offended thereat, but suffer their consciences to be laid open, that the word may come close and home to them. And secondly, they must use the means to come to a sense and feeling of their sin, to which end let us make sin as odious and dangerous in our eyes as we can. It is odious to God. To us it is poison and leprosy, though we cherish it, and hate ministers and friends for touching it. It is an abomination to God. It thrusts him out of our hearts and puts in the devil God's archenemy. It causes us to prefer base pleasure, fading prophets, before the favor and mercy and love of God. Must not this needs be hateful to God? But then how much more intolerable are those sins that bring neither profit nor pleasure, but causes us to thrust out God even because we will? But this is not all, for as it is abominable to God, so it is dangerous to us, for whence comes judgments? Whence it is, uh, whence is it that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Whence is sickness, disgrace, troubles? All these are fruits of sin. Nothing makes us miserable but sin. Take a man when he, is, when he lies a-dying. Ask him what troubles him. Oh, he cries out of sin, of the wrath of God. He feels not sickness, even as the, as the gout is not felt by one that hath a fit of the stone upon him. Let us think this in time. Let us shame the devil, shame ourselves. But is this all? No. Judas saw his sin and confessed, yet was he never the better. He wanted that which should make his repentance perfect. He wanted faith to lay hold on pardon. A poor man is fit for treasure, but unless he lay hold on treasure, he shall never be rich. Therefore, faith and repentance are ever joined in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, as was said to the jailer. So Christ saith, Come to me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Christ came to satisfy for all sin, to cure all diseases. But they must first come to him and say, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, Matthew chapter uh, 8, verse 2. And to such as these I may say, as they said, say, as they said, to the blind man, be of comfort, for Christ calls thee, Mark chapter 10, verse 49, that thou mayest be feared. Fear in this place is taken for the spiritual worship of God, arising from a reverential fear mingled with love. Fear God and keep his commandments, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, is the whole duty of man. So that these words being considered with the former brings this observation to our consideration. Doctrine, that God's goodness, forgiveness, grace, and mercy is a means to stir up his children in all duties. And therefore we are commanded to do all things in fear, to, quote, work out our salvation with fear, Philippians 2.12, eat and drink with fear. And in Jude 12, the wicked are branded with this, that they eat without fear. So as whatever we do, we must do it in fear, showing the reverence of God continually and jealously over ourselves, lest we should stop the light of God's 
countenance from us. Question. But it will be said, how is it then said, quote, that we should serve him without fear, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, being redeemed from our enemies? Answer. I answer, there is a twofold fear. One, a slavish fear, whereof place is meant, uh, uh, whereof that place is meant, we should serve him without fear of damnation, of punishment, and of judgment. But the fear that we speak of here is a fear of reverence and love that stirs us up to worship him. Question. But how doth it stir to duty, may some say? Answer. I answer first, it stirs us, uh, it stirs up faith in our hearts. Hope of forgiveness will cause us to cast ourselves into their arms whom we have offended. Where no hope is, uh, of mercy is, there follows nothing but fear, causing us to fly away. Even as we see proclamation of pardon to rebels causes them to come in, but the contrary makes them run away. Again, sense of forgiveness works more love. David's murder, Paul's persecution, Peter's denial caused abundance of love. Where many sins are forgiven, there will be much love. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. And where much love is, there will be obedience to all God's commandments. For, quote, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Contrarily, desperation is the ground of all sin. This is the ground of all hate. The devils, they hate God. Because they know there is no remedy left for them. Therefore, they cannot endure the re remembrance of him. Contrarywise, as it is in Psalm 65, verse 2, quote, Unto thee shall all flesh come. Why? For thou hearest prayer. Again, fear and forgiveness are joined in the new covenant. Quote, I will put my fear in thy heart, and thou shalt not depart from me. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. And Christ, to all his, is both king, priest, and prophet. He comes to all by water as well as blood. He is become righteousness, wisdom, and holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Again, a Christian, he will, by reason, enforce this on himself, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Christ died for us. Therefore, we must live to him and not to ourselves. Use number one. This, therefore, should cause us to take heed of all thoughts of despair. Let it be enough that we have broken the law. Let us not pull a greater sin on us by denying the gospel, the mercies and truths of God. Let us by any means take heed, for Satan will join with guilty consciences speaking with cursed Cain. Quote, my sin is greater than can be pardoned. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. No article of our creed is so much opposed by him as that the forgiveness of sin by Christ's merits, which is the very life and soul of a church. All the former articles of the creed are perfected in this, and all the following articles are effects thereof. Use number two. Secondly, this doctrine furnishes an answer to the papists who lay scandals, that is, take offense at, on the doctrines, the doctrine of free justification by the merits of Christ without our own works, saying that we nourish thereby carelessness in a Christian life, whenas the Scripture and the Spirit of God in the hearts of those that are truly regenerate do reason quite contrary. Quote, There is mercy with thee, 
that thou mayest be feared, unquote. Not that we may live as we list, for whom God forgives, he first truly humbles, whom he washes, he gives hearts to keep themselves clean. So as the burnt, uh, as with the burnt child, they dread the fire ever after. No, it is themselves that overthrow good works while they ground themselves on false grounds. For either they do them to satisfy God's wrath, which is slavish, or to merit them, which is a token of hireling, of a hireling. And most of their works are such, as if God should ask them, quote, who required them at their hands, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 12. They could never be able to answer. They, while they talk of good works, in the meantime, overthrow faith and love, which should be the ground of a good work. What can they do more than Cain or Judas with the wickedest man alive, or the wickedest man alive? Secondly, we may hence gather a ground of discerning our estate, whereby we shall know whether God's mercy and forgiveness belong to us or not. For it is impossible where there is no inward worship of God in the heart, where there is no fear of jealousy of sin, where there is no conscience of swearing, blaspheming, and such abominations that ever much had yet any true taste of God's mercy and forgiveness. Let them not take comfort by the example of the thief on the cross that cried for mercy and had it. For there is a time of grace, and there are some sinners as those that flatter themselves in a course of sin, thinking to repent when they will, against which the wrath of God will smoke. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 20. Therefore, let not such soothe up themselves. Those that have their sins forgiven do fear God. Such fear not God, and therefore their sins are not forgiven. Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, to whom Christ will profess, he never knew them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And therefore, let us never assure ourselves of forgiveness farther than we find in us a hatred of sin. <laughs> For a man to live in a course of known sin, it stops the current of God's mercy who will wound the, quote, hairy scalp of such as despise the patience and long-suffering of God, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. While we have time, therefore, and are young, before lusts settle themselves in us, serve the Lord with fear, deny him not, with, uh, d deny him not the service due to him. If we do, it is just with God to take us away suddenly or to deliver us over to an impenetrable hard heart. And when we die, that God should take away from us our senses or to give over our consciences to such a horror and trembling fear as shall not suffer us to come near as to have any hope of mercy but die in despair. Let us pray, therefore, against a careless heart and say to him, Lord, thou camest to redeem and set me free from the works of the devil. Lord, deliver me from the power of sin and of my own corruption. For we may assure ourselves that he, uh, he that never discerned this hatred of sin in him, never asked pardon from his heart, and he that never asks it shall never have it. Use. Let us in the next place learn thereby to go the right way to work assurance of forgiveness. First, to learn to see our misery, then get persuasion that there is a remedy, then get knowledge thereof, 
and then beg it. That's a great line. Let us in the next place learn thereby to go the right way to work assurance of forgiveness. And he goes through four steps. First, learn to see our misery. Then, second, get persuasion that there is a remedy. Third, get knowledge thereof. And then, number four, beg it. They will change their ill courses, but without confession or acknowledgement of sin. And thereby they turn indeed, but it is from one sin to another. From being dissolute, they will become covetous, and so change to the worse. For they change not from right grounds, not from a love to God and a hatred of sin, but ever from the love of one reigning sin to another. For all such and all other that either find their sin or think not of it, this scripture is of excellent use, and we may speak of it as St. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 speaks of all the scripture. Quote, it is profitable for doctrine, teaching us that we are by nature since the fall, wherein we may have remedy of our misery, how and in what manner to attain the remedy. It is profitable for reproof of the doctrine of justification by works. And it is profitable for correction of our lives, teaching us to avoid despair, and yet withal to avoid security. It is profitable for comfort to all those that are dejected by sin, by considering the mercy of God in Christ, which is more and greater than sin in us, if we have faith to lay hold on it, so that we may say with St. Augustine, Ego admissi unde tu damnari potes mi me, Sed non acquisisti undi to salvare potes me. I'll have to look up that later because I don't know Latin. All right, and then lastly, verse number five. I wait for the Lord, yea, my soul waiteth. These words do show the estate and disposition of the holy man after his prayer. Though we, he had formerly sense of mercy and pardon, yet he waits for more full and sweet apprehension thereof. In them we may observe, first, though God be exceeding gracious, yet there is a matter of waiting. So long as we live here on earth, for he gives not all the fullness of his blessing at once. Though we may give taste of, he may give taste of pardon of sin in present, yet not presently deliverance out of danger. Quote, the light of the righteous shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18. There is no day that is perfected in an instant, and the reasons hereof may be reason number one, first, to force us to search our souls, whether we be fit for blessing, whether we be thoroughly humbled and have thoroughly repented or not. Thus dealt with Jonas, and thus with the children of Israel for Achan's cause. Reason number two, secondly, it may be a means to stir us up to more earnestness in seeking, to make us like the woman of Canaan, more earnest, the more she was repelled. Reason number three, thirdly, he gives us occasion of waiting to show forth, uh, to show the truth and soundness of his graces in us. Otherwise, should we have no means to try how the grace in us would serve us in time of need. Reason number four, fourthly, hereby God doth endear those favors that we want, that it may come the more welcome to us, 
and we be the more thankful for it. Thus God dealt with this holy man, and thus doth he with his church. For while we live here, we are always children of hope, not miserable, because we have a sweet taste of what we hope for, and not perfectly happy, because we want fullness. Before Christ, they hoped for his coming in the flesh. Since Christ, we look for his second coming in glory. In grace, we look for glory. And when our souls are in glory, they look for the redemption of the bodies and for the day of restoring all things. How long, how long, how long, Lord, how long? Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Else would this life be heaven to us, and we should not desire or pray, Lord, let thy kingdom come. Use. And for use, this should whet in us our desires and prayers for our heavenly estate, and not make our heaven here on earth, but desire earnestly the full harvest, by considering how excellent the first fruits of glory in this life are, and with the creature, Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 19, quote, wait and expect and long and groan for the time of the dissolution of all things, unquote and to make this a note to discern of our estate. For it is a certain infallible token of a good frame of spirit in us if we can long for that better life in the fullness that we have here, that we can desire to be with Christ. Furthermore, note this as a difference between the estates of the wicked and the godly. The wicked must look for worse and worse continually. His best is here, while he hath this world. But the godly, their worst is here, and their best is to come. And that's the end of this Sibs sermon on Psalm 130, The Saints' Comforts.